What up, what up, what up, everybody? This is the Dr. Football Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Dennis Tian. Yes, I am a real doctor, but no, we are talking absolutely nothing to do with medicine. We're talking football. We're talking the New England Patriots. And with me, as always, my co-host, the the entrepreneur, the man, the myth, the legend, the CEO of Hedge Better himself, Justin Feynman. Justin, how's it going, my brother? How are you on this rainy, dreary Monday night? I know, seriously, rainy, dreary Monday, right before Halloween. Uh, I'm good though, man. I'm good. You know, I can't really complain. Just left the uh, just left the North End. Got my little dose of Boston in for the day. Happy to be back in the suburbs. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I, I, I'm doing good. You know, I'm, 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 I'm here at my house slash construction site. We are recording remote tonight. We are not recording with Hedge Better Studios because of our scheduling uh, uh, situation. We're both busy entrepreneurs. So for that reason, I am here. And uh, hey, I'm happy to be recording. There's a lot about this football team. And let's face it, Justin, we're it, it feels like we're back to reality this week after the game yesterday against the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, you know, it, it really did seem that way, right? Things kind of came back down to earth a little bit, um, but it, it was an interesting game. A lot to a lot to take away. We're just we just learned today, or maybe we knew yesterday. I just learned today. Kendrick Bourne torn ACL, another added yeah. layer of uh, you know difficulty for this team moving forward. But uh, it's interesting, you know. I I think we can. Uh, I think when we both look back at our preseason episodes, you know, we we said to ourselves, "There's a realistic chance that you know, at the first half of the season, we're looking at a, a two and six record." You know, coming out of this tough stretch of games, we had it marked. I mean, I think I th- we did, and I think the quote we said multiple times that the the floor was lower than the ceiling was high, and there was a lot of reasons for that, and that's certainly playing out. You know, even in spite of that, I didn't think that they were going to be two and six today. I thought I mean, at this point in the season, I, I thought that they would still be competitive or at least closer to 500. I never thought they would lose more than Dallas like they did. But, you know, obviously this team has a lot of issues. So let's get to it. I, we have a great episode of the Dr. Football Podcast planned today. We're going to start with the kickoff, get into some of the opening takes, the big picture stuff. And then we're going to go through the breakdown, a couple of Good things to talk about, I think, from the game yesterday, decision points and and, and notable things in the game yesterday. And then we're going to go around the league where things are really starting to heat up and and get, I think, really spicy all across the NFL right now. As as, you know, we get to this point in the season where and we do it every year. We overreact to what happened in September and early October. And then what we think we know about the NFL just oftentimes falls apart in like late October, November, and December, and, and really becomes a total, totally different landscape. So we got a great episode planned. Let's start, Justin, with the kickoff, the opening take that sets the table for the rest of the podcast. And I have to start, Justin, with something we've talked about multiple times on, on previous editions of the Dr. Football Podcast and having new clarity on what that is. And what's going on there. And that is we have spoken, you go back to Max rookie year and how many times in Mac Jones's rookie year, does this team fall behind early and then make some kind of a comeback only to fall just a little bit short. And lo and behold, it happened again yesterday where they fell behind and not from the first quarter, but they fell behind in the second quarter. They were down two scores in the second half. They got the late score 
They needed a stop to get the ball back to Mac Jones. And once again, they were unable to get it. This is a three, almost three-year pattern with this team. And I think, Justin, and, and why I think it's important to notice this pattern and to notice what it means is that is that Bill Belichick has a way of coaching and approaching the game philosophically. We've talked about the chestnut checkers approach. This is why this team falls behind. They went into that game yesterday, not to win that game, not to put big points on the board, not to be aggressive. They play this game. They think that they don't have to go in and be aggressive. They think if they show up to these games, that they will, that other team will just make enough mistakes. They will capitalize on them and they will find a way to win. That is the Bill Belichick way. I want Bill Belichick to be here. I want him to be successful. I want him to ride off into the sunset as the most winning coach in the NFL. And I want him to leave this franchise in good shape. But a big part of the problem here, Justin, is the fact the way they approach these games. I will say right now, I would rather have Mac Jones at this point, because what do you have to lose, right? I would rather have him throw 10 interceptions and lose 50 to three. Okay. Then play the game the way that this team plays the game, which is this conservative, dry, vanilla approach. Meanwhile, on the other side, Mike McDaniels is out there, you know, motion all over the field, speed all over the field, scoring points, trying to ring, light up the scoreboard every time they have the ball. This, I think, the Belichick approach doesn't work as well as it used to. I mean, it's there's clearly a there's clearly a reason why we keep getting off to like these these slow starts, like, and you know. I, I can honestly understand what you're saying when like, you, you know, you look at it from like a, I don't know, maybe a preparation standpoint or just, you know, like a, uh, a game plan standpoint, like you have to wonder if there's something that's continuously like leading to this, right? Cause like, it's not just like it's happening every now and then it like is the, like, you know, d- death taxes and patriots will fall behind early and try to make a game out of it. Right. Like that's, it's, it's the paradigm for how, how every single one, almost every single one of these games goes the last few years, fall behind early, almost make a comeback, come up just short. Right. In, 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 to your point, I think you have to start to look at it and say, well, I mean, you know, what is going on here in, is it the case? Is it the game plan? Is it the mentality? Is it the is our, is it the schemes? Is it is it the approach that we're taking? Um, and it, it is tough to it's it's tough to say at this point that it isn't because it seems very weird that we just start slow all the time and then find a way to settle down and, and be competitive. It just it just well, really doesn't well, add up. It, it, here's the thing: it's a choice, Justin. It's a choice by Bill Belichick. It's an approach to the game that worked very well for a very very long time there was a time when this team would do what we're saying that they do and they won a lot of games of course they had tom brady we know that but it was also a different nfl it was a different league at that time i don't think that approach works very good right now you've got a guy on the other side of the ball yesterday like mike mcdaniels that guy's looking to put up 500 yards and 40 points Every time they take the field, 
Bill Belichick wants to win 13 to 10 and you know on on a, on a big special teams play in a game like that and it puts them consistently into these situations where they fall behind you look at their best drive of the of the game yesterday and how many times in the last few years have we seen this that that their best drive comes late in the game when they're down by a score or two scores trying to get back in the game once again yesterday Patriots best drive their only real touchdown drive of the game was in the fourth quarter when they were down 24 to 10 it, yeah 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 100% um i mean look i i looked at that team yesterday and i saw a team out there that wanted to compete i think they i i think they did want to win like that that was a team out there that i think came out with some energy like you know the defense forced an early turnover we actually, I believe, we got out to a lead, right, an, an early lead, and I, I looked at it and I said, okay, this is a team that is is kind of bringing it today, but ultimately, like we always like to say in this podcast, cream rises to the top, and through the, throughout the course of four quarters, what we saw was that Mike McDaniel had a better game plan, Tua was the better quarterback. The, the, the Dolphins' defense was the better defense, and their weapons were clearly maybe the most the, – the part that stands out the most, their weapons were the better weapons. Guys like Tyreek Hill that can, can make big plays constantly. Guys like Jalen Waddle that would be a one on 95% of the other teams in the NFL but has to take a backseat to, to Tyreek Hill. You know, it, it was it – was, uh, it was very, you know, I think just matter of fact watching it, it was just what you would expect. You would expect the Patriots were, you know, they're giving it their all, but it was just a better team. They were outclassed at the end of the day, and they just couldn't keep it up for four quarters. I, th- I think the phrase outclassed is actually the perfect phrase to say it because it wasn't just that they were outcoached or outtalented. It was really both. I mean, the talent difference between these two teams is like so – Stark. We've watched them play twice now in the last like month and a half, and there's no. It just jumps off the page. The Dolphins are a better team, but I think that you know one of the things that I think people in New England, I think we have a hard time wrapping our head around, is the fact that Mike McDaniel's is eating Bill Belichick's lunch every time that they go against each other, and that it's not just the talent differential. But it's also the fact that Mike, D- Mike McDaniels is out coaching Bill Belichick, both in terms of his philosophical approach to the game and his schemes, his X's and O's, like what they're doing on offense. The Patriots really did not have an answer for it yesterday. I would say, frankly, on either side of the ball, while they played hard on defense, you know, I don't think either side of the ball, the Patriots really schematically had much of an answer for what the Dolphins and Daniels did. Mike McDaniels ate Bill Belichick's lunch yesterday. I don't like to say that. I don't want to say that. I don't like Mike McDaniels. You know that I have major doubts about that guy, his ability to lead an organization. I I like him. I think he's funny. I think he's entertaining. I I mean, I have nothing against him, but I consider Bill Belichick on the Mount Rushmore of NFL coaches, a Hall of Famer, a legend, the Patriot way, all that stuff. I believe in all that. So I hate to say it, but I've seen it now over the last two years, three of the last four times they've played that for some reason, Mike McDaniels out coaches Bill Belichick. Uh, yeah. A hundred, a hundred percent. Like, 
I, I now correct me if I'm wrong. Do, has Mac Jones or beaten Mike McDaniel yet? No, no, no. My, well, yes, because they won. The Patriots beat the Dolphins last November, or December, when Skylar Thompson was the Dolphins' quarterback. That was when Tua and Teddy Bridgewater were both hurt. Gotcha. But okay. Yes. That was the only time the Patriots have beaten the Dolphins in recent years. I mean, Tua Tagovailoa is now six and zero versus Bill Belichick. McDaniel's is three and one uh, versus Belichick. The Patriots are like three and ten in their last like 12, 13 trips to Miami. It is just amazing how much this Dolphins organization has has come has gotten to a place where they kind of own Belichick and the Patriots. They own us completely, like to the point where like I I would ray like as evidenced by last week. I would rather play the Bills. I think I would rather play the Chiefs. Like I, I think you know we we've played Philly in in some of these other powerhouses closer than than we've been able to play Miami. I, I feel like they just the, we they just have our number, and I almost feel like it's becoming worse because it's starting to be that monkey on your back that it's like wow okay now it's now it's turned into a pattern now they're showing that oh wow we they maybe they really do have our number it's not just a fluke and i think that eats away at a team i i think so and and, I, and honestly uh, just 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 to make the final point one more time and then we can move on to the next the, the quarterback which is which is going to be the next topic but the, 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 when you when you see a trend like this it's hard to write that off as a total fluke. And and really, if you're asking me what I think is underlying this trend, it is absolutely the, 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 the thing we opened with. The Bill Belichick approach to the game, the chestnut checkers approach, the play it safe approach, and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work against a team like Miami that's coming in looking to light the scoreboard. It, it is it is not it, it just doesn't match up well and that's why you look at all three of those losses the last two years against Miami that each one of them followed the exact same pattern which is fall yeah. behind early and then they almost come back and then they can't come back it is it is the exact same thing every time and it is a 100% a result of of the i would say the antiquated way that Bill Belichick approaches these games against a team on the other side of the ball Let's face it; they're at the cutting edge of everything that's like new and neoteric and 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 just absolute, um, you know, um, next era of NFL football. Yeah, it, it's funny. I think if you asked me to pick like one organization that like really does encompass this like new age, new era, like style, like everything from top to bottom, like. Uh, like school of thought, I guess with football, it's gotta be the dolphins. Like it starts at Mike McDaniels, it trickles to Tua and you just see it throughout the entire organization from like their schemes to like the personnel they have in there. Um, it's just a, it, it is like the epitome. I feel like of what yeah, the league is you, looking for. And if for you right found now. one organization that epitomizes the way that things were done 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, it's the New England Patriots. Right. And it's, it's why they can't beat the dolphins because the Patriots are stuck in the old way which was for a long time the most effective way and a very effective way. And, but times have changed. And, and, and this is why the Patriots can't keep up with the Dolphins. It's exactly why, because you just said it. The Dolphins are the, the absolute forefront of everything new. And the Patriots are in the absolute back row, ass backwards old 
from the special teams to the philo- everything, the philosophy, the way they draft, everything. And, and it shows every single time that they have met on the field in the last few years. Okay, Justin, let's move on. We have to talk about um, Mac Jones, the, the quarterback. I think that's the other big story. Um, look, it's getting harder and harder to, to find ways to defend Mac Jones. And I don't think he played a terrible game yesterday. I think he threw a terrible interception yesterday. But I would say that Tua Tagliavoloa also threw an equally terrible interception yesterday. Yeah. The difference in this game is that Tua has the weapons around him to to overcome a bad play like that and Mac doesn't. That's that's one big difference. But a second big difference, if I'm being honest, and I think it's increasingly apparent, is that to a Tagliavoloa, I don't think he throws the ball much better. In fact, I think Mac might even throw the ball better than him when I watched him play face to face. I'm not like there's a huge difference in physical talent. Tua Tagliavoloa is resilient. He he has a, a winning way or winning quality about him that I really am wondering if Mac Jones has that. You know, when Tua comes out and he throws that awful pass, what happens on the next three drives? The Dolphins score. And that's a little bit because of the weapons they have around them. Okay. But at some point, you got to look at the traits of the quarterback and, and say, hey, he was able to face that mistake, overcome it, move on, and succeed. Look at what happened after Mac Jones threw his interception. There was like three or four possessions where the Patriots did nothing. Mac Jones missed a wide open Devontae Parker on a key third down. He looked sped up. He looked a little out of sync. He looked a little rattled again for a second there. There's a resiliency thing, um, a competitor thing, a winner thing that Tua Tagliavoloa kind of has – and Mac Jones, I hate to say it, and I hope I'm wrong because I hope he does have it. It just hasn't shown yet. Kind of doesn't have it though. Yeah, it, 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 I think we've all been feeling it, but the it's evidenced by what you see, right? And Ali, it, it's kind of funny you alluded to it because I, I, I can think of a specific point in the game uh, yesterday after the Kendrick Bourne touchdown, right? And I believe at that point. Um, the Patriots went up. Was it ten to three or ten seven? The Patriots were up on the after, after the kick. Kendrick Bourne touch, It was seven yeah. nothing, or it was seven nothing. I, I thought they kicked a field goal before the Kendrick Bourne touchdown. Uh, Did they not? No, no, they scored. There was seven nothing. Okay, yeah, seven nothing. Okay, that's all right. So that's what. Okay, right after that play, they 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 flashed on CBS to uh, to Tua on the sideline, getting ready to you know putting his helmet on. And he just had this look, this confidence about him, like this look like this dude was about to go out there and, you know, he was on a mission. And, you know, sure enough, he did. He went out there, uh, him and Tyreek scored um, on, a, on, on a long play. But I just, it, it was funny because I remember seeing that into his that look into his eyes. And I said to myself, wow, I think this kid's going to go out here and score. And I also remember thinking to myself, you know, I don't think I've ever seen that look on Mac's face, at least, or, you know, maybe for starters, but if I have, I don't think I've ever seen it followed up with like an action drive, a statement drive. And that to me was also very telling. I think it really drove the point home yesterday. 
Yeah. And I mean, look, I think we'd be remiss in having this conversation if we don't acknowledge the chicken or the egg nature of what we're talking about. Right. Because how much of it is it that Mac lacks it? And how much of it is the fact that Bill Belichick has undermined him at every possible turn? He has absolutely no talent surrounding him, can't get any pass protection. And literally, I mean, the receivers, especially after Kendrick Bourne went out, I mean, what's he? who's he throwing to? They, the receivers were pathetic. I mean, key third down play, he's got Jalen Rieger, Devonta Parker, and Juju Smith-Schuster out there. So, I mean, how that affects a young player's psyche when you – feel like you're completely non-supported both in terms of the personnel around you and and the coaches in, in the locker room and how they're treating you i i really feel like that has to be mentioned because that's a part of why mac lacks that because when he came in and and whatever he was when he started there was some opportunity to develop him and not just physically but psychologically and this team has really failed at that and right now whether it's Mac, whether it's the circumstances around him, the truth is it's, it's probably both. It probably is both contributing. Right. Um, this guy just lacks something that, that you see in other players. I mean, you look at some of the other players in the league that, that, that quarterbacks that produce a lot of turnovers this year and last year, there are some really good quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Tua himself has about the same amount of interceptions as Mac this year. These guys find a way to, to make mistakes and, and still get out there and sling it and ultimately have success and, and a lot more success than failure. Whereas with Mac, it feels like for whatever reason, he's just so beat down and, 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 and maybe it is a little bit to do with him that when he, he makes a throw like that, he kind of shuts down and turtles up now. You know, I, I agree. And I guess, you know, to, to piggyback off you with the, you know, the whole turtle, uh, sorry, turtle chicken of the egg statement um, is uh, you know, we we've said this before in the program, but you know, it's, it's never really been, I think super viable because we've always had reasons that we could speak to that would be contributing to max bowl performance, whether, you know, it's been the weapons, Patricia, the O-line, the, you know, what the play call, whatever it is. Right. Um, but like, I, I, I look at that. I, I, I look, I look at the situation right now with Mac Jones and, and, and I just say to myself, I'm like, okay, there's no way that, you know, I'm not convinced at this point that there's a little bit of max performance and max ability. What we're speaking to right now, because what we're really speaking to is max ability, right? Like, like is Mac missing something that some of the best quarterbacks have, that winning quarterbacks have, that franchise quarterbacks have? Are we just, you know, are, are we not giving Belichick maybe some of the credit for identifying that early on in Mac and trying to put uh, a scheme or a game plan or something, you know, a, a around him that fits Mac's uh, mentality or, or, or his skill set, his his style? Because maybe Mac isn't meant to be a gunslinger. Maybe Mac isn't meant to be super aggressive in in in, in run these types of offenses that that quarterbacks like Mahomes into uh, in, in a can. And, and maybe that was Belichick's way of trying to. Uh, protect Mac in a weird way because you know we see make Mac we see Mac make a lot of errant throws, you know errant interceptions. Like we, it seems like we're constantly questioning him just when we're waiting for him to put it all together. When we expect him to put it all together, when we you know think he's gonna ziggy zags, maybe this is Belichick seeing this for a while now and he's just trying to protect Mac a little bit. I don't know, it, but it, it was something that I didn't you know it was tough to say at first when there was so many other factors at play. 
But the longer and longer I keep seeing this repeated behavior and these repeated results, I'm starting to wonder if, if there's a little bit of that going on too. But, but here's, here's what I would say to that. And that is in today's NFL, you can't win like that. And the decision to draft a quarterback in the first round, I don't, that, that, that has those limitations. Um, if he does, and it looks like he does, I don't absolve Bill Belichick of that decision. Some people say he doesn't have any personnel control. I believe Bill Belichick has full control over who this team drafts and who they bring in. And the choice to bring in a quarterback like Mac Jones is, is in fact totally consistent with what everything Bill Belichick believes about offense, right? Which is we don't have to have a gunslinger. We don't have to have flashy guy with super arm strength and mobility and physical talent. We need a guy that can make good decisions, run an offense, um, you know, not, not screw things up. And, and I don't think we've seen that Mac is that guy, of course, but that's what he was drafted to be. And that's what his skill set. Remember he was supposed to be that kind of player. Belichick brought, Mac Jones in because it was consistent with some of the antiquated philosophies that he continues to adhere to. And maybe he has been protecting him in a sense, because he sees the limitations in the player that, that, that may well be the case, but I think it's, it's more that he just doesn't believe that he needs a quarterback that can be like a Josh Allen or a Justin Herbert. He doesn't want that kind of quarterback that's going to sling it all over the field and make a thousand mistakes. So he brings in what he thought was a safe bet in Mac Jones. He's finding out he was wrong and, and, and tries to run things like he did when, when it was, you know, 20, 25 years ago. I mean, if you look at what he did with the Cleveland Browns, in the, in the mid nineties. And I know that's ancient history now. And certainly for you, cause you were barely alive then. But I, I, I mean, a lot of what he believes now, I think still, you know, dates back to then. And you look at what he did with the quarterback position in Cleveland. The first thing he did when he, when he got to Cleveland was he cut Bernie Kosar, who was like a legend in Cleveland, but he turned the ball over a lot. He was a gunslinger in that era, but he made a lot of mistakes and bad decisions. You know what is he bringing? He brings in Eric Zier. He brings in um, he brings in Vinny Testaverde. He brings in um, a couple a couple other you know mediocre guys. Belichick doesn't believe that you need that gunslinger guy, and and the Mac Jones pick is totally consistent with that. Yeah, no, and and, and, and I agree, and I think I think you know we've also talked about the fact too that hey, you know there was a lot of pressure to draft the next guy after you ushered Brady out the door after the Cam Newton experiment failed. There was a ton of pressure. And I think when you go and you draft a guy like you did with Mac in the first round, um, you do, I think you do everything you can to make the most of it because the last thing you want is to find yourself in a situation like a lot of these GMs where, you know, they take that risk in the first round quarterback and then it completely blows up on them. Um, and, and and I just wonder, you know, if 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 Belichick maybe said, okay, hey, I'm drafting a guy who fits a certain mold, but in the process of bringing him, you know, br- bringing him into his own, he's kind of saying, hey, maybe I gotta I gotta keep the reins a little tighter than I thought. You know, I I I don't know, but it definitely just seems to me like. Um, Whenever we think Max about to hit a groove and you know catch that or, or hit that next level, he takes a step backwards. 
Yeah, he does. And and I think, you know, Justin, and let's just say it, we've said it a hundred times. Let's just say it again. They haven't done any favors with to him, whatever he is, whatever, whatever he might be. You know, if, if you draft a guy that you think has limitations, all the more reason that you should be surrounding him with, with a considerable amount of talent. And I look at guys like, you know, we're going to talk about Brock Purdy in a few minutes. I think, I think that's a really interesting analogy to Mac Jones with Brock happening to Brock Purdy now and how good he looked and then how bad he's been the last three weeks, you know, the weapons to has the weapons. Some of these other guys have, you know, Kirk cousins surrounded by weapons, probably a mediocre quarterback. You get a guy like Mac Jones, maybe his ceiling is mediocrity, all the more reason that you have to you have to fill the roster with talent and whatever you think about Mac Jones and we can talk all day about whether you know he he never had it or he he could have had it whatever your thoughts are i think everyone can agree that they, it has been an outright failure in terms of the talent they put around this kid um to get the best out of him they're not getting the best out of him they're getting the worst out of him because of that um, let's talk a little, a couple more takes about Mac, and then we're going to move on to another another subject. But just with the trade deadline coming up tomorrow, um, you know, it does make you think a little bit about the, the future of Mac in New England. And I don't know if you agree with me on this, Justin. I, th- I think it sounds like you do, because I do think there's still some potential there. And I think if you're really looking for something to to watch for these next nine games, I do think you should want to see how Mac Jones does because if there's any chance that he can salvage his career and convince us he can be the guy, if there's any remote possibility to that left, I mean, that's one thing to watch for. But right now, if you're asking me, under no circumstances am I bringing back Mac Jones as a starting quarterback for this team next year. They have to draft someone else. Maybe he can be a backup. Maybe he can be a bridge quarterback. But but I don't see any way. And I've been pro Mac. You know that for the yeah. last for, from the beginning. But and I, and I still believe he could be a good quarterback if you surround him with the right pieces. And it's a shame I think what's happened to him. But right now, I'm not. I'm not bringing this guy back for another year as a starting quarterback. If you ask me right now, what's your decision? It's a tough decision, but he's not my starting quarterback next year. I'm bringing in someone else either through the draft or something else. Yeah. And, 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 you know, from, I think from what we've been hearing and, you know, a lot of, from what I hear from people, it, it seems like there's a lot, a uh, lot of fans in new England who who are starting to, uh, to board that ship. And you know what? It, it's unfortunate. And, you know, I do think, like we've said, I, th- I, I do think, that, you know, I think there still is an opportunity in a window for Mac to change that, right? Like there's still a lot of football left to be played. Um, but, you know, that being said, I I think he's got a real uphill battle and I, I'd like to see how he responds to the adversity. I, I think the window is, is closing. I think, I think like when I'm trying to think of what's it going to take in these last nine games, to get me to a place where I, I feel like they should bring this guy back. I mean, he could actually have a reasonably good last nine games here and say they win like five of their nine games and he throws 11 touchdowns and three picks. There's tw- you know, 14 touchdowns and, and five picks. And that's like good production. I'm still not, I don't think, bringing him back because I've just seen so much to the contrary over the last few years that, that I feel like it's, it's just time to make a tough decision and move on. And I'm going to give you one more Mac Jones take, and then we're going to move on to the next topic. But I, I did think a little bit about trade deadline possibilities. And 
what if the Patriots traded Mac Jones tomorrow? You know, people talk about Minnesota now with, with Kirk Cousins being out and that being a potential trade destination. And and I have to say, and, and you might not agree with this, as much as I've been supportive, as much as I've been a pro-Mac guy for, for the last couple of years, if they traded Mac Jones tomorrow, do you know the main emotion that I would feel is relief? I would feel relief that for Mac because I feel almost sorry for him at this point because I think he's miserable here. And I feel I would feel relief as just a fan of this franchise that Mac Jones and this debacle, this failing relationship with his responsibility for the failure on both Belichick's side and on Mac Jones' side, okay, there's plenty. It really is an equal or, or near equal thing where they why, why this is, hasn't worked. But I would feel relief that this thing was just over. Be honest with you. I mean, it's been the big elephant in the room ever since Mac has got here, right? And you know what? But here's the here's the other thing, though, is like if you think it's bad now, like okay, we talked about you know we've everything that's been built up to this point, but from Brady to Cam Newton to Mac and everything that that's entailed the last couple of years, right? I mean, it's it's loomed over everyone's head. The quarterback situation in New England has been that you know that just that nag that you can't you can't get rid of. It's the narrative. It's only gonna get worse if we have to get rid of Mac Jones and start from scratch with another. Like you know what I mean? We're basically like we've put ourselves in between a rock and a hard place. We're like it's the biggest distraction. But like the relief would be so temporary, so temporary. Yeah. Well, well, and to, and to that point, you know, if you listen to the last week's episode, I said be careful about getting rid of Mac, and I still feel that way because even if Mac Jones is an average quarterback, most of the quarterbacks that end up getting drafted in the first and second rounds of the draft do not even become average quarterbacks. Mac Jones has shown flashes that he has a ceiling, maybe of at least being an average or above average quarterback in this league. And I think that it's a shame that we have to move on from him, but, but the relationship, the whole dynamic here, it just hasn't worked. And I don't see how you can go into 2024 right now with this guy as your starting quarterback, even though I bet you, if he ended up in a place like Minnesota and he was throwing to Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson and, 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 and all that skill position talent there, I really think he would have success. And we would be looking back saying, man, you know, Mac, Mac, Mac was too bad. We let him go. But, you know, all that said, it's the same thing with Belichick. I mean, I don't want Belichick to leave either. I think he might have success in another organization, but how, how can you bring these people back when it just isn't working? It's hard to know what's what it might just be time for a clean break. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's funny too, cause we've said that, that Mac in, um, Mac, Mac, it does remind us like a young Kirk cousins, right? Like in Kirk's Kirk's had the, the whole, you know, uh, monkey in his back of like, can he win? Can he be a, uh, a big time quarterback and you win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. So I think it'd be very funny if they brought in almost like a a young a young Kirk to uh to take the reins over. I would I would love to see Mac Jones end up in Minnesota like with, with Justin Jefferson and, and all those skills. I would love it. It would be great entertainment. I mean, you know, it would, it would really be interesting to see how 
you know, could, could he finally do it? The only thing I'll say too about that though, is like, as much as we want to compare Mac to Kirk Cousins and again, pro Mac guy for a long time here. I mean, Kirk Cousins has put up some damn good numbers and he might not have won a super bowl or won much in the postseason, but he's been like a second tier quarterback. He's had 4,000 yard seasons and three to one touchdown to interception ratios we've never seen anything like that from Mac Jones in two and a half years as a starting quarterback. Like, I mean, he's just never put up that kind of production. So as much as I want to lump him in, in there and, and say that, and I do think Mac could, could potentially be a good player in the right conditions, you know, it, the, the proof, the, what he's actually accomplished on the field really doesn't, it really pales in comparison sometimes to Kirk Cousins. And frankly, a lot of the other um, NFL quarterbacks he's compared to. All right, Justin, let's move on. I, I want to talk a little bit about this defense. I want to throw a few statistics out from you yesterday. The, the Patriots on defense, okay, the Miami Dolphins held the ball for 36 minutes, and the Patriots held it for 24. And that's with the Patriots winning the turnover battle 2-1. They got an extra possession, okay? The Miami Dolphins had 24 first downs to the Patriots, 13. 17 passing first downs yesterday for the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins were 5 of 14 on third down. Not great, but they also converted three fourth downs. So they were really 8 of 14. They were 3 of 3 on, on fourth down. I thought the Patriots defense played hard. I thought they played physical. I thought they they came to play, and, and hey, they made a few turnovers but if you really look critically i thought the patriots defense actually played a very bad game yesterday i thought they really struggled to get off the field i thought one of the reasons their offense struggled is because the 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 time of possession thing that they could not get the ball back to their offense i did not think that this was a very good game for this defense no, it it was very reminiscent. And look, I mean, obviously, yes, they're 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 injured. You know, what I mean, this is this is a defense that's not at full strength. Um, but this was very reminiscent of like what we saw, you know, like in twenty 2020, twenty in twenty twenty one, even a little bit last year, which was like this is a defense that cannot shut down big playmakers. They could not shut down. Uh, they could not get off the field on, on on third down. Couldn't get a stop to save their life. And ultimately, it was just asking too much of them to go out there and shut that offense down. And we sat here on this podcast in previous seasons and said, hey, this defense struggles when they go up against high-powered offenses, offenses with multiple, you know, grade-A weapons. Like, they just can't shut them down. They don't have the the talent. And you know what? Without guys like Judon, without guys like Gonzalez and some of those other guys in the secondary that still banged up, um, it, it they reverted back to their old ways. I'll put it this way. How many times did – there was a couple times in the game where Miami took a penalty or a sack – and, and, and they had a, you know, a, a 10 plus yard situation on second down or first down or third down. Did you for once f- fear that the, uh, feel like Miami wasn't going to convert those? No. Like how many times do Miami have like a second and 13? And it just feels like, okay, we'll throw a little screen to J- Jalen Waddle. He'll get eight and then we'll hit Tyree kill on third down and he'll get, you know, 13 and it's moved the chains. Like anytime the Patriots, I felt like anytime they really needed to stop, they couldn't get one. Like you said, I felt like the Miami was really in control of that game offensively the whole time. It was death by a thousand paper cuts. And I think that was by design for Miami. I mean, they just bled 
the slow bleed, the slow blood, the Patriots. And then when those windows were there to make big plays down the field, Miami took them and they were successful hitting a few huge passes in key spots. Tyree kill Jalen. Well, bottle both scoring touchdowns. I just think Miami imposed their will on the Patriots yesterday. And I don't think I'm not, I mean, the two turnovers are great. I think they were gift wrapped to you. A, two, a terrible pass by two attacking below. I don't know what he was doing. That was as bad a pass as Mac Jones threw, frankly. And then a, a gift wrap fumble in the in the um, in the second half, started the second half that was completely unforced. Take those two things out of it, and you know Miami really imposed their will on this defense. Yeah, they did, and I, I think most of us kind of expected them to. Um, I mean, it's just it was just very tough to see how they were going to go in and in in and stop this Miami offense. Um, and, and, and the other thing too is like you know, I, I look at this Patriots team. I look I looked at that defense, and to your point, there was just other like I just felt like the the turnovers were more so lucky than earned. Like I just didn't see that defense outplaying Miami yesterday. You know what I mean? Like it just oh, they were absolutely lucky. They were both lucky they were just lucky players i mean that was to a to a gift wrap they uh, that interception at kyle duggar like that was a that was a gift wrap interception um a terrible throw i don't know what two saw in that play it was a bad mistake and hey credit to kyle duggar he capitalized on it but it's not like we forced the patriots forced that that the turnover and the same thing with the second one i mean they were both just really unforced errors kind of just dumb luck yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, look, and sometimes you need that, right? Sometimes you need a little bit of luck. You need a little bit of uh, 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 of just, you know, a, a good bounce or a bad bounce or an errant throw to to go your way. Um, but, you know, it's tough to see that even with a couple gifts getting handed to them, they they just really did struggle to capitalize in, in, in the rest of the, the game. One more take on this defense, Justin, and that is, do you agree with me? I think Kyle Duggar played his best game as a Patriot on Sunday. I mean, he was definitely one of the bright spots. And it was funny because I believe this was following our conversation last week when we mentioned, you know, that maybe we wouldn't be so sad if he left uh, in the trade deadline because maybe he's been a little underwhelming. But uh, it was a great game for him. He did. He made his impact felt in that uh, in that first half. And you know, he he had a couple of big plays other than just that that interception. So it was how about nice that hit kinda, on the goal line? Yeah. That was a great great hit on the goal line, and Miami ended up scoring on the next play. But I mean, that was a terrific play. I mean, I felt like he was all over the field. He definitely made his presence felt. Um, a guy I was majorly disappointed in yesterday, and I've been majorly disappointed all year, is Ramondre Stevenson. I, I think in in the game yesterday, for the first time this year, I saw Ramondre Stevenson shake a tackle. Like I don't know what happened to this guy. I always thought he was super overrated by Patriots fans. I, I think there's 20, even at his best, I think there was 20 guys in the league that could do what he did. And Patriots fans talk about him like he's Walter Payton or Emmett Smith or something. And it's just, it was ridiculous. But he is a compared to last year. He is not anywhere near where he was even then. And I would say he isn't even the best back on this team right now. That's Ezekiel Elliott. No, he is. He has been nothing. Um, I almost wonder if like he's injured or if he's like nursing something, you know what I mean? He just doesn't have that, uh, 
that, that like quickness, that like, you know, that explosiveness, the playmaking ability. Cause you know, last year I, I thought he looked really good. We said oftentimes he was, he was the brightest spot in the offense. Um, and I, I you know, I, I think it's just a shame that, uh, that, that, you know, he's taken that step back, especially cause I, I would have loved to, uh, I would have loved to see that, you know, Hey, you bring in you know, an older vet and somebody like Ramon decides to step his game up and elevate it because, you know, he wants to, to solidify himself as the top dog. And he's just done that in no way, shape or form. I don't think when Belichick envisioned the running back room for this year, I don't think he envisioned a thing where Elliot and Stevens are basically on equal footing. I think he looked at Stevenson as like a workhorse bell cow kind of back and Ezekiel Elliott as like, you know, the spell, the guy, the spell guy, the guy that gave him a break when he needed one and took a couple series a game. And, and the, the, the reality is that, that it's actually been, you know, almost the opposite where it's like Elliot is the more liveful of the two of them. And Stevens really has not been, I think, the workhorse at all that Bill Belichick envisioned he would be. No, not, not at all. Um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't it seem weird that Zeke looks a little bit more explosive back there? It does, but I don't think is that as much a compliment to Zeke as it is an indictment on Stevenson. Like I don't think I mean I don't think Zeke is Walter Payton either. I don't think he's anything great. I think he's he's been okay. It's just that Stevenson has really been bad. And you know, and, and I think that, you know, when you're relying on a guy like Ezekiel Elliott, who you sign late in the game for relatively short money, I mean, and now all of a sudden he becomes the guy that you're counting on. I mean, that's not a great place for a franchise to be. No, not at all. Let's talk a little, Justin, about um, the context now to, to the Bills win. I felt so good about this team, and and, and it could still happen um, after that Buffalo win. I just felt like maybe they had finally turned a corner and that maybe, just maybe, you know, this was going to be the turning point for the franchise to send them back to what I – I think we all thought they were going to be uh, when Brady left, which was which was still a competitive and good franchise. Can we say now that that the win against the Bills was just kind of a fluke? You know, division game caught them on a bad day. A couple things went right. Um, is this team back? Did the stagecoach turn into a pumpkin already, or is there actually you know any hope that that maybe this team is still in the process of turning over a new leaf? So I, I think there's, that's like a gray area, right? There's a load of question because I don't think it's necessarily that this team is going to turn over a new leaf and all of a sudden, um, you know, hey, look out for the Patriots. But I really want to see this team when their schedule, which it's about to, lightens up a little bit, right? Because like they've arguably, it's not even arguably, they've had the toughest schedule in the NFL, I mean, their easiest game, could you say, was maybe the the Jets or the Saints, right? Uh, like, I, would say the, I would say the Jets without, without Aaron Rodgers that first week, yeah. Yeah, I, and, and that's still a team that's four and three right now that beat right. the Eagles, like has beat, has beaten some good teams, you know what I mean? So it's like, I look at that and I'm like, you know, by no means am I expecting this team all of a sudden now to turn it on um, and, you know, run the table. But like, I think this is a team that could – put on some uh, respectable performances in the coming weeks and even get themselves back to that 500 mark. You know, Justin, I, I actually have to say, I agree with you on that take because I, I think that, look, Miami's been a house of horrors for this team for a lot of reasons, which we talked about a few minutes ago. I, I do feel like even with 
a bad loss yesterday. And even with the fact that they may be out of it at two and six now, I still feel like we're going to see better things for this team for the remainder of the season. I don't think what happened against Buffalo was totally just like a broken clock being right twice a day. I think there are some stabilizing good things that that are happening here, you know, not the least of which is the schedule. But I, I really think that, you know, uh, is it going to be enough to get them back into the playoff race? Everything's going to have to go right for the, for that to be the case. But I do think you're going to see this team play much better coming down the stretch. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the games they got coming up. Like we said, the my, Miami is out of the way. They've already gotten Buffalo um, out of the way once. You know, you, you already took care of the, the Eagles, the Cowboys. I mean, there is a lot of reason to believe that, you know, as a Patriots fan, you could get some good, um, some good meaningful games. And again, that doesn't mean that this team is going to, you know, necessarily make the playoffs or even be a threat. But like, if you look at the way the AFC is shaping up right now, you can't tell me that if the Patriots are hovering around 50 or, or, or hovering around 500, that they'll be completely out of contention, you know, in, in a few months. So, um, I, I agree, you I know, agree. Uh, but, but I but I also would say this, like, you know, can they, can they get back into playoff contention? That's a different question. Like, I, I think they're going to be a lot better. I think they're going to win some games. I think they're going to claw their way back to the wheelhouse of 500. If you really look at the schedule over the next two months and some of the games they have, there really is possible that they could get back to the point where, as you alluded to, they're flirting with playoff contention. But the problem with that is, is that everything has to go right. They cannot afford another mental lapse. I look at their next four games, okay? Commanders, Colts, Giants, and Chargers. To me, those are four games this team should win. Really, they should. But I have zero confidence that this team and this quarterback, frankly, and this coach, and the whole lot of them, the whole bunch of them, I have zero confidence that they're going to have the kind of consistency, okay, to go and win all four of those games because that's not what they've been for the last three and a half years. They should be able to win these four games and be six and six going into December. If you're six and six in the first or second week of December, you're in it, generally speaking, right? You you have a chance to make the playoffs if you're 500 in early December. This team should be able to get there. All it is going to take, however, is one mental lapse, one Mac Jones mental meltdown, one bad game plan, one time where they come out flat, one game where they have 11 penalties like they did in Las Vegas or something last year. To lose a game that they should win to the Colts, the Raiders. And let's be honest, too. It's not like they're light years ahead of these teams, right? I mean, the Colts, I think, are four and three or three and four right now. The Commanders, you know, you look what they're doing on offense and and, and, and the way they're able to score points and their young quarterback. The the Chargers, you know, they have their three wins more than one win more than the Patriots. The Giants are equally pathetic to the Patriots. I think that might be, you know, their match. But my point is, like, it's not like the Patriots are light years ahead of these teams either. They're kind of on the same playing field. Pats should be able to beat them. But it's only going to take one pickup at this point to really just completely derail your season. I don't think this team has it in them to, to be consistent like that. No, I, I, that, I think that's kind of my biggest fear as well, is that like the stage, the stage is set, the path is there. 
but this team has not shown that like they're capable of going out and doing that. And I hope they prove me wrong, but that would go a long way. I think towards not only, you know, starting to, to, to not fix the season and turn the season around, but that could really start to change the attitude in terms of, you know, Mac coming back, Bill Belichick as the head coach, et cetera. If, if, if they well, were, I, think, you know, I think back to 1994, which is the season you were born by the way, but they were three and six in that year. And, Everyone thought Drew Bledsoe was a bust. And then, lo and behold, they won their last seven games. And they Bledsoe played great. And they had they made the playoffs and, of course, lost to Belichick and the Browns in Cleveland. But that's the kind of thing it's going to take to save this season. I mean, it's going to have to take a situation where somehow this team rattles off like a really impressive winning streak and, and the quarterback looks great and they, and, and they somehow – save their season. I mean, that's the only way that you salvage this thing at this point. And I just think based on what we've seen the last three years, I just think that's super unlikely. So Justin, I had said last week that I would still be a buyer at the trade deadline. Um, you know, I, I, and, and I will say that even though they lost an ugly game yesterday, I am in no way, shape or form walking back from that take. I feel like if they can get a piece at the trade deadline tomorrow, um, you know, I don't know, Devontae Adams, Jerry Judy, some other, you know, high money, um, skill position guy, offensive lineman, something that fills a big need on this team. Go out and do it because I do not believe in tanking. I do not believe it works. I look at how many bad, god awful quarterbacks have been taken in the top five of the draft really over the last 20 years. And I'm like, what? And I'm looking at some of the best quarterbacks and best players in the league coming from the middle of the first round, late in the first round, later rounds in the draft. And I don't think that that you need to be at the tip top of the draft to 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 rebuild this team. I will take my chances if I can get a major piece with one hundred and thirty million dollars in cap room next year. There's no way they're going to have they're going to they're going to spend all that money in free agency. There probably isn't enough worthwhile free agencies, frankly, for free agents for them to spend that money on. So I have. Want zero percent regret about saying they should be buyers at the trade deadline. They should still buy it tomorrow if they can. I, I look. I hope this team does. I really hope they do because, you know, may, look like we keep talking about like what needs to happen, right? Like in order in order for this team to to turn it around. Like you know, we keep using the phrase "chicken and the egg." Like let's just like let's let's get some like weapons here, right? Like, let's just, let's just do something different. Let's switch it up, right? Let's bring some guys in. Let's, let's say, Hey, we're two and six at this point. Let's get some guys that we wouldn't mind having here for the next two, three years, right? Get some pieces, whoever the quarterback is. And just saying, look, what, what this experiment didn't work. We need talent. Let's bring in some guys. I would love that. Especially, you know, you, I, we really haven't talked about it too much, but like Kendrick Bourne was by far their best weapon on offense in the passing yep, game. Exactly. And you just lost him for the rest of the year. So it's like you're basically down to complete scraps and rookies at this point. So and, and that and that's my that'll be my final thought before we move to the breakdown, which I'm gonna actually keep brief because we talk so much about everything else. But the thought of this team without Kendrick Bourne on the wide receivers 
they're already terrible wide receiver room as it is. The thought of them without Ter- Kendrick Bourne is downright frightening. It is downright frightening. That that, is, that was like the one vestige of a, a play, you know, the one hint of playmaking they had. Now he's gone for the year. I mean, Jalen Rager and Devonta Parker and Tyquan Thornton and Pop. I mean, this is terrifying. This is terrifying receiver room. So yes, if you can get a good receiver tomorrow, please get them. You're right. The Kendrick Bourne. Injury even even makes I think more of a case for them to be a buyer at the trade deadline. God, who's going to catch the ball for the rest of this year? You know, with born out, it, it, this is an ugly wide receiver room. Make a trade. Yeah, yeah, totally. Bring br- bring somebody in here who can just help light some. Uh, bring some life into this team, light a fire, and and, and give the fans what they deserve. Honestly, because I, I, I it, as fans here, I think we're. Uh, we're ready. We're we're ready to see a little bit of a change. Uh, you know what I mean. This this whole Absolutely. you know this this whole uh, you know trying to find the diamond in the rough thing. It's it's cute when you win the Super Bowls, but you you got to bring some talent in here now. No no question about it. All right, let's move on to the breakdown. We already talked a, lo- a little bit about the game yesterday, uh, or, but but I just want to bring up a few uh, uh, key things we haven't mentioned yet. And number one is the refereeing was awful. And I'm looking at the defensive pass interference on JC Jackson. That was such an awful call. I don't think that it really would have changed the result if this game was better officiated, but I have to mention that this was one of the worst officiated games I can remember in a long time in the NFL. Yeah, it was, it, 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 it's weird because I didn't feel like the officiating was why the Patriots lost. Like I genuinely felt like they weren't the better team yesterday. But to your point, like there was definitely some questionable calls. And you know what? Calls do really make all the difference in in, in a game like that. Yeah, uh, no, no question about it. And it, it, it the Patriots were going to lose that game either way. They didn't deserve to win it. But it's 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 that much harder when, when you have. A couple of terrible calls go against you like that, and that's really what it was. How about that ineligible man call on, on the that they picked up the flat? I mean, that was, the guy was like eight yards downfield, and then and then they, they they don't call an eligible man. I just don't get it. I think that was that was in a key spot in the game too. Justin, what did you think about Mac's interception before the half? We've talked a lot about Mac. Um, look, I don't I don't hold it against him that, that he threw a terrible pass, and that's what it was a terrible pass. I still think this team should overcome, have more ability to overcome something like that from their quarterback. But all that said, I do believe if they score even a field goal there, this is a very different game. Completely different game. I mean, that was, you know, I, I, I critical error at a time when you couldn't exactly. And you know what? Like, look, like we did say that, like, Tua made some equally or, you know, bad throws, but. It was just the timing of it. It, it. it was just couldn't have been at a worse time. And it just looked like such an egregious mistake. And I couldn't have, you know, I couldn't have picked a worse dude to to intercept it. I mean, I'm so sick of Jalen Ramsey and, you know, I didn't, we, nobody needed to, to, to hear his, his praise being sung in his first game back. I mean, I'm so over him, but, but yeah, it, it, it was I mean, just, but a, he totally set up Mac. Like he, he did. set him up so bad. That was a savvy veteran that just like, honestly, he was just toying with Mac Jones on that play. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, in, in, but, but that, that's the thing though, is that like, I looked at that and I said, okay, that was just 
it, there was just red flags all over that play from start to finish. And just watching it on the screen was so, so difficult. And, you know, it, again, it's one of those throws that you sit there and, you know, in all fairness, if if Mac Jones was doing what Tua was doing, going out there and lighting it up, if his team was seven and two or six and two, whatever they are, and he was lighting it up and, you know, their offense looked unstoppable, those throws wouldn't bother people as much. It's when you're two and six and your offense is struggling and then you make a throw like that in a crucial situation in a crucial part of the game. Um, and it just really hits a little bit differently. And, and a little bit of it, Justin, was just like, it, it wasn't just an interception. It wasn't just like a a bad interception where like, you know, you throw a pass and you don't see the defense. It was a, it was just like a pathetic throw. Like it really was like a weak ass throw. Not, not just like he lofted the ball out there. It was like easy pickings for Jalen Ramsey. I just thought something about the aesthetics of it just made it even worse than it actually already was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. That's, that's the thing. The aesthetics just, it just looked like such a, an egregious mistake that that was the thing that got me. Um, 26 seconds left when the Patriots got the ball back after that interception, the Dolphins, I think, uh, kicked a field goal to make it 17, seven before the half. Should the Patriots have tried to score? They had two timeouts. They got the ball like the 20, 25 yard line, you know, it's. I understand that they don't have weapons. Maybe they don't have confidence in the quarterback. I mean, aren't those the spots and the places where you have to take some chances? And again, I get the possibility of there potentially being something that goes drastically wrong there. But this whole thing of not taking chances and gambles with Mac Jones isn't working. There's a perfect opportunity to at least run a pass or two and see what happens I mean, what's the worst thing you can happen? He throws another interception. You're already two and six and you're losing anyways. Why not take a chance uh, there that you can get a score before the half and maybe just maybe reverse the, the course of the game? Yeah, I think that's, you know, look, it's tough. It really is because you you need you want to be aggressive uh, but by the same token, like we, we've seen Mac, like he's almost like a tornado. Like things can go from bad to worse, like with him real quickly. And I honestly, I don't hate Belichick saying, you know what, after that awful pass, let, let's pack it up. Let's pack it up and hit halftime. The last thing we need is Mac to do that again, right before the half. I mean, that was almost a pick six. And it was right after the, um, the bad interception. All fairs. Like, even as I'm saying that, I'm like, wait a second. This was literally the series after Mac threw one of the worst interceptions you've seen for right. a long time. So maybe there, maybe that was the right move. Okay. Um, I, I knew the Patriots were going to lose this game, Justin, on the first drive of the second half when the Dolphins gift wrapped them a fumble and, and, and really gave them the ball back in a spot where they really needed a play to get back into the game. And the Dolphins gave them that play. It wasn't even forced or earned. It was given on an awful fumble. And you settle for three. You go three and out. You don't even get a first down. And you kick a lousy field goal there. Settling for three at that point in the game. That was the exact point that I knew they were not winning this game. Yeah, you needed as many points as possible to compete with an offense like that, and you just needed to you need to capitalize on 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 and every possible opportunity to get points and as many of them. Um, and I think that I I think 
to your point, that was that was a situation where you know we saw that and we said, "Wow, you know, in in games that you win, you come away with a touchdown here, and in games that you lose or games that are too close for comfort, you 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 kick the field goal, and 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 that's what happens. Honestly, I mean, look, it's 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 very simple at the end of the day, right? The the team who scores more points wins the game. And sometimes you just need to put points up on the board, especially when you when you got an offense like that on, on the other side of the field. Yeah, let's and then and then lastly, let's. Um, I got to mention right that last drive by the Miami Dolphins. What what a terrific, terrific drive! You know the Patriots get some momentum back. They have their best and only real touchdown drive of the game. Probably one of the better drives they've had all season. Frankly, Mac looked good. Thirteen play, eighty four yard drive. Fourth and goal touchdown to Juju Smith-Schuster. Built some momentum. 24-17. Still very much a game at that point. Plenty of time left. I believe the Dolphins took the ball when there was almost eight minutes left on the clock. They killed like five and a half minutes a clock, scoring a touchdown drive, converting some huge third downs. Um, one to Tyreek Hill on a third and nine. What a great catch that was. Ripped it away from the Patriots defender. I don't even know who the defender was there. What a great play by Tyree Kill on that first third down. Yeah, and you know, not to beat a dead horse, but that's that's one of those situations where it does matter who you're throwing the ball to, right? I mean, there's a lot of times where we sit there and we say, hey, you know, it doesn't matter who Mac was throwing to there, right? That was either a bad throw or you know, absolutely. But 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 that's one of those situations where it shows you that sometimes it really well, does. Well, let me matter. ask you: Is there one player on the Patriots? No, Ross, that makes that catch. No, 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 or at least, or at least not, not on a regular basis. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there might be a fluke in there, but uh, no. And, and let me, uh, you know, since, since you brought it up, and just to go back a little in the game too. Um, a key spot in this game that I did mention, I probably should have, was when the Patriots went up seven to nothing, and Miami answered with that forty-five yard touchdown from Tua to Tyree Kill. That was such a huge answer, right? Like you can say whatever you want about Tua Tagovailoa, but when a guy is that open running down the field, and all you have to do is throw it up, and you get an easy six after starting off with a terrible interception and falling behind seven to nothing, is there anyone on the Patriots? that can make a play like that for your young quarterback. You look at this game from beginning to end, whenever the Dolphins really needed a play, there was Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kale there to make it. Whether it was after the bad interception, a touchdown, whether it was on a key third and nine, how about on a third and one um, at the end of the game there, uh, Jalen Waddell wide open over the middle. How many times did, did those two guys bail the Dolphins out and get them um, and get them yards in a, at a time when they really making plays for their young quarterback when they really needed it. I mean, seemingly all the time. I know we, you know, not, I know this isn't, you know, cut and dry all the, you know, every game, every play with the Dolphins, but when you watch them, um, you know, other than those two main receivers in those running backs, there's not a lot of other people, you know, touching the ball on a regular basis. Like it's complimentary it, pieces, right? Uh, it's it's complimentary pieces, and you know, as a defense, that everything is getting ran through Tyreek primarily, and then Jalen Waddle and those running backs, and, and and you still really can't stop it. But you have you have two A level, elite level talents on 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 offense, and it opens things up for all these other pieces that that are really not at that level, but but they don't have to face 
matchups because because Waddle and Hill take all the attention. You look consistently throughout the game yesterday. They they were able to they they were there whenever Tua needed a play to be made. It was Waddle and Hill um, making it for him. Okay, Justin, let's move on to around the league. A few quick things I want to bring up before we wrap it up uh, f- for this week. Um, I think we. It's amazing how, like three weeks ago, we were both ready to coronate the San Francisco 49ers as being like the 85 Bears. And lo and behold, here we are three weeks later. Three horrendous losses in a row. Brock Purdy looks like he is, you know, very mortal right now. And I just find it amazing because we talk a lot about Mac Jones and his career. And Mac followed a pattern a lot of quarterbacks follow which is he came in he had some initial success and after defensive coordinators got like 10 or 11 games of him in game film they were able to kind of figure him out and it doesn't feel like he's ever been able to respond and you look at what's happening right now in san francisco with brock Purdy, it's a similar pattern right he started 11 or 12 games granted there are a few injuries out there now teams have tape on him defensive coordinators know what he does what he doesn't do well. And I'm wondering if he is going to have a little bit of a harder time now, now that the kind of book is out on him a bit. You got to come back down to earth eventually. I mean, look, you know, we're sitting here talking about a kid who had never lost a start, you know, heading into a couple of weeks ago. Um, He just really seemed to be walking on water. And, you know, as, as football fans, we know that if enough time passes, it's the course is going to get corrected, right? I mean, you look at the best quarterbacks ever. They lost games. They had bad games. They had bad stretches, right? Like from Brady to, to, to Peyton to, you know, to all all the greats. So it was, it's kind of crazy to, to, you know, I guess not expect at some point, you know, the, the, the shooter drop for, 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 for Brock Purdy. And, you know, look, he faced three tough teams. He had three tough games, and the 49ers are getting a little uh, a little dose of reality. I'm not, you know, I'm not selling Brock Purdy yet. I'm not saying I'm out on him. Um, but you know what? This is a good little reality check. I'm, I'm not saying I'm out on him yet either. Like, I still like the kid, and I, I've kind of felt like there was something there. Like, it wasn't totally just a fluke um, to this point. But if I'm just being honest, I have to say I'm starting to – I'm, st- I'm just – throwing it out there that there is a pattern of guys coming in and having a half year, a quarter year, a year of success. And then once they get figured out, they can never quite capture the magic. And again, Matt Jones is the textbook example. You look at the best stretch of his career to this point has been that 11 game stretch. He started out once teams and coordinators were able to figure him out. He's never, he's never been able to really transcend that to this point. Um, I, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see, if Brock Purdy, what's happened the last two weeks is a fluke, or, you know, if this guy kind of falls down the tubes here over the next few weeks, you know, you, you got to start to question, you know, you know, if, if he really is what we thought he might've been, Justin, who's a, who's a, who's a more of a contender now in the AFC Miami or Buffalo. I know, I know Miami beat the Patriots yesterday, a big win, but you look at who they've beaten giants, Panthers, Patriots twice. I think they beat the jets. Really nothing special. Other side of the coin, um, you know, um, Buffalo has certainly had their issues. I'm wondering, is either Miami or Buffalo a real contender in the AFC right now? I don't think in the playoffs, either of these teams are going to go into 
uh, Arrowhead and beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. I really don't. Like I look, I, I look at these teams and I say, wow, they're both talented, but they're both extremely uh, beatable. The one thing I'll say about um, Miami that they at least have going for them now is that you know I. I fear the Miami offense more than the Buffalo offense. I think the Miami offense is just so explosive and dynamic that it has a level um, of difficulty to stop that even the Buffalo Bills offense doesn't have. The thing that Miami's got going for them is they're they're kind of rounding into form as like a well-rounded team. You know what I mean? Like the defense was 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 definitely questionable, but they're getting some pieces back and they got some guys emerging. You know, um, so if that defense can, can, can step up for, for Miami and they can, you know, turn into a solid, well-rounded team, I do think they can contend, but do I expect them to emerge? No. Yeah. I would say that neither one of those two teams right now, based on what we've seen is, is I would consider a real contender. I think, I think Miami is a good team. I don't think they're a great one. I think they're a product or the beneficiary of a really soft schedule. And I've said all along that they're the kind of team that's going to crush weak opposition because they're explosive. Um, I don't think that they're resilient enough to really win in tough stadiums against tough teams in tough places. And maybe they'll prove me wrong, but that's the impression I get. Buffalo, to me, looks like a, a fundamentally flawed team. So I don't consider either one of them to be in the top tier of the AFC. If you're asking me right now, who's my top tier in the AFC? I'm going, um, obviously, Kansas City. I'm going I'm going Baltimore. And I'm going, um, and I'm going with... Um, also, um, not Jacksonville, Kansas City, Baltimore, and who am I missing? Um, I think that's really it. Oh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Kansas City, Baltimore, and Cincinnati. I think those are the three best teams in the conference. Yeah, Cincy is. Look, everyone, you know, kind of jumped on Cincy with their slow start, but they're going to be just fine. I mean, you know, this is a team that uh, they've been there, they've done that, and they look like they're rounding into form too. I think this will be a tough team to play in the second half of the year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's still relatively early, and we have to remember that. Like, Cincy, with the borrow injury, you know, I was questioning him. I think a lot of people were questioning him, questioning that team. The reality is they've looked really good the last two weeks, and I think that I think that when it's all said and done, they're going to be right at the top of the of the conference. You know, I really believe that. All right, let's go to um, the Kansas City Chiefs. So I just mentioned another team. W- what do you make of the Chiefs' loss in Denver yesterday? Because for me, my take on this, Justin, is that I I don't even really hold that against the Chiefs. Like division game, tough spot, bad weather. Patrick Mahomes was was sick. I I really feel like. Look, teams are, you know, nobody goes 17 and 0, 16 and 0. There are going to be losses in the schedule. The Chiefs lost a division game to a, to, to a, a, a division road game in a bad spot against an opponent that, 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 that they haven't beaten in a long time. It happens. It's just like Buffalo and the Patriots the week before. I don't hold this against Kansas City at all. Still think they're the best team in the conference. Yeah, I think Kansas City is the best team in the conference too. I'm not worried about them. Um, you know, if anything, I, I look at Kansas City and I say, hey, this is just a team that they're just basically trying to make it to the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like they, they've almost they, they almost strike me as like that team that like they, they're like the like the Golden State Warriors of, of the NFL. Now they're just like, hey, they're just trying to make it to the playoffs as healthy as they can with the best record possible. 
and then they're going to turn it on and they're going to be the clear favorites to, to make it back to the Super Bowl again. I, I really think so. Yeah, I agree completely. Okay, man, I think that's all the time we have. I'm going to wrap it up. Do you have anything else you want to bring up before we wrap up this edition of the Dr. Football Podcast? You know, nothing uh, nothing too crazy. What's the game tonight, the Monday night game? Detroit and, and the Raiders. Raiders. Right, that's right, Detroit yeah. and the Raiders. Yeah, get ready. We're getting that time of year where yeah. like, we're going to get stuck with some bad games in national teams. every year there's nothing you can do to fix it. You know, it's just the mathematics. It's the nature of the, the, the beast, right? You, you put on two teams, you think it's going to be a good game. And then one of them falls out of, or both of them fall out of contention. You get to November, you know, every now and then we get a dog on national television. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? It, at least, um, at least it's going to be, you know, I look at it and I say, look, it, it, at least you got Detroit in a primetime game and everyone loves watching Detroit play, you know, so yeah. at least be entertaining. And uh, if uh, if Vegas is able to give them a run for their money or even win, it's just going to be some great narratives, some great storylines well, right to talk about. Right now it's six to nothing right before halftime in Vegas, or about 12 minutes left before halftime. So, so you know, it's certainly, um, neither team seems to have gotten off to a fast start all right. um, at this point. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But listen, that's all the time we have. We're going to wrap it up. I want to thank everyone that listened to this episode of Dr. Football Podcast. Hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed doing it. We'll catch you all next Monday night. New episode drops every Monday. Find us on Facebook and we will um, we'll catch you next time. Thanks everybody.